Welcome to Creatoring, uh, the podcast about create. Nope, that's not it. This is a podcast, and that's Courtney. Hey. And I'm Zach. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I'm, I don't think I've ever introduced the co-host before. I just thought I'd try it. Yeah. How did did it feel? Okay. It felt fine. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for your concern. Hey, everybody. Yeah. How are you, Courtney? I'm doing fantastic. Yeah, I had a really good day. How about you? Um, it was a day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I got up, I looked for clients, I recorded a podcast, and I drank some tea. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Tea, bedtime tea. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know much... How much caffeine does Snapple use? Okay. So it's just a pure sugar high, and then you'll crash in bed. (laughs) That's what everybody does when they're getting ready for bed, right? Right? Yeah. Nice. That's probably what Taylor Cashton does. Probably. Doesn't even brush his teeth. (laughs) I don't know what I'm saying. Snapple. (laughs) Like your mouth. I mean, just just based on his hate for cats. Oh, yeah. It probably is. uh, Something he would do. (laughs) <laughs> just use Snapple. <laughs> I mean, because he certainly does not shave. No, looks like he's an eighty-year-old man. Um, I want to get everybody to start calling him Squints. Yeah, yeah. The creative South this year, he did not wear his glasses, or I, he just misplaced them and didn't have one, so he had to squint everywhere he went, and it was very funny to me. <sighs> I wanted. I'm a terrible person. To be winky, but that just sounds really weird. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, I'm gonna put the. the axe I'm gonna on kill that. off Winky now. Yeah, if I can. It'd be good. <laughs> <laughs> but that's who we talked to in this episode. We talked to Taylor Cashton, um, designer, speaker. What does he do for AIGA? He's on the board. Um, in Raleigh. Yeah, AIGA Raleigh keeping stuff going so he headed up the thrive conference which totally recommend you go to who's on the team who organized it but yeah he has his yeah, hands it... in a lot of stuff <laughs> well okay you can spin that whatever yeah. direction Wait, winky stays busy <laughs> <Dang it>. <laughs> yeah <laughs> well i mean we've both known taylor for a while so yeah it was um it was pretty easy to get him to the point where he was opening up more than he probably should have, but he did. So enjoy. <laughs> so, Taylor. Yes. At Creative South, you kept calling yourself the world's worst fisherman, and that was a really nice fish you caught yesterday. Oh my gosh, you know, I've had more people reach out saying, I think you're lying. You're a liar. Anyone else, but I've had the most luck I've ever had in my life, like the last six months in fishing. If you hadn't said that, you would have never caught those. You're right, and I think I'm going to start doing that with a lot of things, like I'm poor, and I am way ahead (laughs) on my mortgage payments. (laughs) So should I be like, I'm really good at finding clients. 
Yeah. <laughs> there we go. You gotta name yeah. it before you can claim it. Name it and claim it. That's the secret. Yeah. Name it you don't have to read the book it. anymore. That's yeah. the gist. I love it. That's the yeah. whole thing. But uh, fishing's good. I like it's relaxing. So, and if mm. I you know, there's there's two things. There's fishing and then there's catching. So li- <laughs> lightly, I've been doing a lot of catching, which is not normal. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone can fish. Yeah. Very you, just, you throw it out there and you. You just wait. Yeah, fishing's fun because it requires zero effort. It's the catching that's work. Have you ever caught yeah. anything you didn't expect to catch? I literally caught a rock. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I reeled in what I thought was a fish, and it uh-huh. was, like, dragging on the bottom of the, the lake or whatever. I'm like, man, this fish is, like, fighting. And normally, like, there's, like, a push and a pull. You know, like, they kind of give up a little bit, and then you pull, and then they give up a little bit, and you pull. But this thing was, like, steady. I was like, damn, this is a huge fish. This is going to be great. <laughs> pops out of the water it's a fucking rock like literally like a rock like that big and i was i don't understand like the, the hook like got wedged in like a crevice a crevasse, mm-hmm. oh. and it, crevasse. it pulled up like normal and i was like well this is embarrassing one in a million chance duck right right one in a, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's so and the most interesting thing i've caught that's mm-hmm. amazing <laughs> yeah um it sounds like a mission you'd have to complete in Zelda, and it's like super hard. Or Red Dead Redemption or something. Yeah. yeah. They don't tell you what lake it's in or what bait to use. You just have to go catch the rock. Yeah, and then all you're catching is fish, and you're like, damn. <laughs> this fishing card. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Another bass. And you just throw it back. Um, so you and Courtney go back a couple years, huh? We do. Yeah. We do. Met at AIJ Raleigh. Yeah, I think we actually met at the mentor program you were hosting. We did. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I was a mentee the first year, and mm-hmm. then I mentored the next year. It was a pretty good time. No complaints. But I haven't had the the pleasure of knowing you quite as long as that. I think no. we met two, three years ago. Yeah, they met. South yeah, my first career south, the camping theme one. I think that was twenty fourteen. Yep. I don't know. Two years no, like bad at... I think it's 2017. This is 19, and then I went two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 2017. Okay, so I, that's about right. So I don't know if I know exactly what you do to keep that beautiful apartment and that dog fed. I move shapes and colors around until it pleasures people. <laughs> you fucker. <laughs> 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 um, I, do you, do you want to share city. where you do that at? Yeah, sure. I'm sorry. Uh, the bedroom. No, uh, it depends on the, <laughs> depends on the, the way the magic. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> I'm currently a, a full-time designer, uh, design lead at Fidelity Investments. Um, I'm on the okay. design systems team and standards team. So basically, I'm helping build components um, and things for the rest of the the teams that work there to use which is an entirely new thing for me. I've, I've never done this kind of work before. So I started there back in January. Um, oh, wow. Brand new then. Yeah, it's super fresh. Super fresh. Yeah. And it's exciting because it's like it's a completely new thing. So I'm still like what I'm tackling now is like for the last eight years, I've worked primarily in like marketing design. Um, and I freelance branding. Like that's what I enjoy doing. But, you know, I, I never wanted to work for an agency because, you know, I like sleeping. So <laughs> I never went that route. But I always worked in-house somewhere. Um and then last year in September, I got laid off after only working at a, a particular firm for about five months. Uh, they just started cutting people. 
um, and mm-hmm. I was first one in, first one out kind of thing. So I was I had a, I was kind of forced into full time freelancing for a little while. And while I enjoyed the work I was doing, I did not enjoy having to, you know, number one, have to do it, you know, because you're right. taking work you don't want to do and that kind of thing. And then, you know, I was also having to do all the intake and all the other things that come along with having to maintain a business of some kind. But then you compound that with also job searching and interviewing. So it's like I couldn't just be doing the work. I was also taking interviews and having to stop and, you know, go elsewhere and meet with people and whatever. So I couldn't even focus on the thing I was supposed to be doing to, to make money. Um, and then, you know, I, at first I wasn't considering anything in the UI space because it, it wasn't, it was new to me, right? Um, right. And I, and I wasn't sure I liked it. Like I'm, what I'm struggling with now um, is I'm so used to, you know, for years I had a tangible deliverable I handed off, whether it be a, a print file or something that was going to live in a specific space for a specific purpose. And now it's like, I'm making things or starting to make things that, you know, will be iterated on a million times over the next five years, you know, or whatever, or they'll be absorbed by another team and changed into something else. And I'll never have a physical object of like a radio button, you know, it's just mm-hmm. not a thing. And what I'm kind of battling with is, I, you know, I, I don't, I haven't figured out, you know, what doing enough is, you know, it is, right. I don't, I don't know what like achievement feels like, you know, at least with, with, having project work that had a finite thing. Like once you were done with it, you knew you finished and you handed it off and you completed it, right? But this right. stuff, like we track everything in Jira, which is just like a, a tracking software. And so I'm moving the little thing from like in progress to done, but that's not the same thing as like, ah, look at this thing I made that now lives in people's you know, hands. So mm-hmm. it's an interesting, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's a problem so much as it's just new. And I haven't decided if I'm okay with that yet. So. Yeah. Yeah. Websites are never finished. It's like you publish yeah. a landing page and then you're like, yay, but then you have to read But even it. like a landing page, it's complete. Mm-hmm. Like it's a whole thing, right? So at least you have a like a, a place something lives. Like I'm mm-hmm. building like a button and then people are putting it on their landing pages, right? So I don't even see where it ends up kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So even past that extension, it's, you know, like I just spent, I spent two months on color. I audited the full system of like all the colors that were out in the wild from the development teams and the other designers and found where they weren't aligning to, you know, the, the brand color they were supposed to be using and then had to like document it and effectively hand off a color palette. Like that was two and a half months worth of work. I was just auditing and like sitting in Excel and digging through code and looking at sketch files. You know, and that's, yeah. that's what it's like to be a, a, a systems designer, so to speak, which is just a weird thing to be doing, I feel like. It's a cool but, niche job. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can see what you're saying. It's super bizarre. But, but like on the flip side, it's, it's kind of, it's a little ominous, right? Because like you're, you're effectively, like the, the, the mantra of like our project manager is like people can choose not to use the system we're building. But the idea mm-hmm. is to make it so good that they can't not use it, right? Which mm-hmm. is a weird position to be in. It's like if I had water and you were thirsty, it's like, well, you can drink nothing or whatever I give you, <laughs> you know? Which is cool, but it also is like a weird position of power in some ways. But, it, you know, it's very much rooted in, like, the community feedback. Like, if you wanted soda and not water, then I'm not doing my job. You know, so it's very, it's a very mm-hmm. fine balance between, like, having to make decisions for, for people before they know they need to make decisions. But also keeping them in the loop about the minutia details of, like, corner radius. Like, a button. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, but they don't, they want to see it in context and we're like, no, 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 like we're not that far yet. Like we just need to know numbers. You know, it's very weird. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. Are you even doing, are you like writing the white pages too and doing all that fun stuff? Um, we haven't got to the, the doc site will come. Uh, we're not at the, at the specking and, and, and documentation phases yet, but uh, eventually we will be. The, the project has um, grown a lot more since when I first started on it. So it's, it's <laughs> uh, we were a team of seven and now we're a team of 12. So it's like now figuring out how that dynamic works. Um, you know, we went from two designers and three developers to three designers and seven developers. So they're moving a lot faster than we are just because they have more people. You know, so it's, it's a it's a weird balance to, to also feel like we're making progress. So mm-hmm. we'll see. Yeah. All in due time. experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and in the meantime, like I'm trying to, like I'm wrapping up client work that I had from when I was laid off that I just have finally, you know, it's finishing out. Mm-hmm. Um, either projects got delayed or took longer than expected or were just long projects that I booked not knowing I would have a job, you know, a full-time job. So it's rolling off all of that stuff and just being able to go, okay, like, you don't have to search for more projects. You can you can wait. You can breathe, mm-hmm. which is just not a familiar feeling to me. So Yeah. Well, speaking of which, I'd love to do a little recap of your Creative South experience. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, <laughs> uh, because so I, I yeah, not... When it comes to stress, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not only are you doing all that stuff, now you're big time speaker boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I'll send you an invoice for this podcast. Yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> that 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 was just a, a, a perfect storm of, of randomness. I think the the fun part about that is, if we want to get like a little bougie, like I read uh, a book called The Alchemist. I don't read, by the way. So this is like a weird thing. Uh, this book I read, like, I don't read. Mm-hmm. I, I like to, to try, but it makes me sleepy. So I, I don't do it as much. <laughs> but, like, that was a book that I actually was able to, like, get through. It's, it's kind of like a young adult literature book. Like, it's not made for adults, but I read it anyway. Mm-hmm. And it talks about this idea of omens, which uh, typically, like, the word omen comes with bad association. But what they use it as is, like, things that happen in the wild, meaning just life, that indicate something's coming, whether you realize it or not. Mm-hmm. So if we think about that in relation to Creative South, like, before I even left, I was like, mm, I don't feel like bringing my computer, you know, because I don't want to carry, like, schlep that thing around. And then I was like, mm, maybe I'll need it, you know, or I'll need to make an edit to something or make one make something. And, like, if I hadn't brought my computer, I wouldn't have my talk, right? So that's, like, thing one. You know, and then when we when we got there or when I was got my volunteer schedule from Diane, um, you know, I was looking through and there was a direct conflict with Jose's talk, the guy who was supposed to speak, who, who I, you know, didn't. And so I emailed and I made sure I got my shift changed so I can have that block of time free so I can watch his talk because I was like trying to, you know, support him and everything. So mm-hmm. like number two, right? I had to move, I moved all this scheduling stuff for a slot I didn't know was going to be mine. Otherwise I would have had like a volunteer shift that I was responsible for during that time. And then when I arrived on site and went to check in, they gave me a black lanyard, like the staff one, and then gave everybody else orange. And I was like, uh, I think they messed up. And I went back, I was like, are these some volunteers? They're like, no. I was like, well, then you gave me the wrong one. And they're like, oh, sorry, and, like, swapped it out. Right? So, like, all these, like, weird things that were, like, I guess somewhat leading up to, like, the day. Right. Um, it's just super interesting. And then how it all kind of, like, went down is I was – I literally got done with my workshop because I was um, volunteering for uh, Matt Dawson's badge work making one. So, like, once yeah. that was done, I was just – I was pooped. Like, I needed a nap. So I went back to the hotel, which I, I never do. I normally, like, pack the day out. And I was like, I'm going to, like, take advantage of this, like, take this conference, like, lightly like i'm gonna just enjoy a vacation i'm not gonna try and do all the things yeah that really worked out um so i went back to take a nap like after that session and i literally was like scrolling through facebook in the hotel bed and i saw jose post and he was like hey you know i'm so bummed like i won't be able to make it like the kids are throwing up da, 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 da. 
So, like, of course, like, I messaged him. I was like, oh, man, what a bummer. Like, was looking to see you. And then, like, I don't know what told me to do it, but, like, I texted Mike uh, Jones and Lenny Terenzi and was like, hey, coach, put me in. My talk's ready. JK, I heard Jose's out really bummed or, like, something along those lines. And then I mm-hmm. went to sleep, right? I just was like, I'm going to take a nap. So, like, I wake up about 40 minutes later and my phone's ringing and I thought it was my alarm. I was like, damn, I've been out for, like, four hours because I set it for 7 o'clock. And I was yeah. like, oh, my God, like, this is – I'm like, wake it up. I'm all groggy, like, run to the phone, and I realize it's a phone call. It's from Lenny. And I pick up the phone, and he's like, uh, is your deck ready? And I was like, yeah. He's like, okay. And then I hung up the phone. <laughs> and then I, like – and, I like, it took a minute. And I was like, whoa, that was weird. Like, why would he ask about my presentation? And then, like, <laughs> it came to, and I was like, oh, shit. So I texted him. I was like, are you fucking with me? Like, or is this a thing? And he was like, no, like, you're on at 1020 on Saturday. Like, be ready. <laughs> And I just kind of like stood there and I was like, this is a real thing. Like, there's no way he's messing with me. They wouldn't mess with me about this. Like, this is a, a big thing. Like, if they have like stuff going on, like they need to coordinate. So I texted him. I was like, okay, no, but really, like, what are you talking about? And he was like, you're on the stage. Do you have any questions? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> so this list of like a couple. Yeah. <laughs> 10 yeah. things. And then he just called me. He was like, Did, you just picked up the phone and like everything was kosher. I was like, I was asleep. <laughs> and he was like, oh. So we like ran through the whole thing. And the funny part about this is Mike didn't know any of this, right? So that I get to the, the stage, like, right before I'm supposed to go on. And he goes, I just heard about uh, how this whole thing went down. He goes, that's so funny. Don't fuck it up. <laughs> and then just, like, walks away. And I was like, oh, man, this is great. <laughs> and in his, like, Wreck-It Ralph costume, too? Yeah. No, he was in the, um, yeah. In the, that in wasn't costume. a costume. No, that's <laughs> what he looks casual like. Tuesday. Yep. Uh, so, and that's Perfect. I just walked out there. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't know. Like, I thought this. Like, this conference doesn't feel like it's a thousand people. Like, it feels like it's like a couple hundred. But like, it's nine hundred mm-hmm. attendees and like a hundred staff and volunteer and and the Springer people. Mm-hmm. And so I asked Lenny. I was like, just like when I was talking to him, I was like, how many people are, are in the crowd? He goes, do you really want to know? I was like, yeah. I mean, it's not that much. He goes. Well, there's 900 attendees. I was like, God, I should have asked that question. Yeah, ask after. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Oh. It was so funny. You killed it. And it was great. Thank you. So thank you. how exactly did you get Jose sick? Yeah. Oh, I sent him a blanket. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah smallpox is easy to get. Now that people nice. are doing anti-vax, you know, it's yeah. really easy to find. <laughs> Just go to my local playground. Um, No, and then I was glad to see you speak because I had heard – part of that before or heard you talk about kind of your story with AFib and uh, mm-hmm. uh, we can touch on that in a little bit too but uh, I was really glad that someone was recording when I yelled at you on stage did not the expect funny that part, that was my co-worker who didn't know I was speaking either <laughs> and that she was like hey uh, like she put it on um, Instagram she's like so my co-worker just walked out on stage and then it's this video of you going don't mess up <laughs> 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 I I, I didn't want to, but you had asked me. Well, I, I told you the night before that I was going to give you a hard time when you went it was, up there. It was perfect because I got out there and I, I wasn't nervous, but it was like, you know, it's a little jittery because I'm like, oh, my God, mm-hmm. I hope this clicker doesn't mess up. Like, I really hope my deck works. Like, I've got all these transitions and like little like behind the scenes, like the, the that presentation is actually like 23 slides. But the whole like in what you see, the deck mm-hmm. itself is 85 slides. And that's oh, okay. because you break out, like, in order to see it on the confidence monitor, like, the actual, like, point I'm trying to make, like, I put, like, one sentence, and then I duplicate the slide, put a sentence, duplicate it, and that just keeps me on pace, 
Because the first time I did this thing, it took me 17 minutes to get through the whole presentation. Like, I flew through it. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, I, I can't do this anywhere. Like, there's no way. Like, I'm going to take a 45-minute session. So I had to find ways to, like, stop myself. And, you know, I have a garbage memory anyway. So when I got up there, like, I just, I was like, oh, my God. Like, watch this thing, like, not show up. Like, the speaker notes won't be visible. Or, like, I'll forget my glasses, you know, or something stupid. So, like, I got up there and I all of a sudden, shut up. I got up there and I was like making sure the thing worked and then you commented I was like alright cool broke the ice this is good so well that I'm and the poop joke yeah <laughs> I'm glad people people enjoyed that one I was hoping it wouldn't go over people's heads no we got it I love it I was so what was kind of the response did you get in a lot of feedback it was Anybody come honest, up to you it was, it was overwhelming um First, Do you want to give an elevator pitch real quick of what your talk was about before? Yeah, we, sure. Just so people can kind of... Sure. So the talk's called Stress Addiction from Morning Coffee to the Cardiac Wing. Um, and the idea... Uh, actually, I can read you the actual description, which would be way better than anything <laughs> I can up with right now. Um, so the, the talk is, is kind of a, a, a few parts. Um, the first of which is kind of a story, a little bit about myself, and then kind of a breakdown. But the, the guise of it is, is the description goes... You know, uh, in quotes, like, I work best under pressure, no worries, I'll get to you ASAP, or it's fine, I can handle it. And then, you know, pivots to the question, like, does that sound familiar? And it did for me, you know, as well, until I woke up one morning with the intent for a normal day. And instead, I found myself in the cardiac wing of a local hospital for a mm -hmm. short stay that included a lot of doctors saying, we don't know what's happening, which is kind of terrifying. So the, the, the whole guise of it is the, you know, Basically, I have a heart condition. It's called atrial fibrillation. Um, and it's not life-threatening. It's life-annoying. Uh, and that's mm -hmm. not a, a Taylor quote. That's something that someone who actually has it had told me. And I, it was like a very refreshing thing because at the time, I was struggling with like what it meant. Um, but the idea is it's, it's heart palpitations. It's, a, it's an electrical miscommunication in the heart that causes the chambers to kind of respond in different ways. So, for example, what was happening to me in particular was the top chamber wasn't communicating to the bottom when it was beating, and mm -hmm. so the bottom one decided to do whatever it wanted, and that sometimes that was going fast, sometimes that was going slow, and then the top one would be like, oh, what's happening, and try to compensate, um, which resulted in basically me sitting still in a hospital bed with a, a heart rate of 180 beats a minute. And to yeah. give you like a frame of reference, like normal person who's sitting in a bed is like 70 beats a minute, like average. So it was it was more than double you know, what's, what's okay. And then the issue is not so much that the heart was beating that way. It's just that, it, you know, it could cause a bajillion other issues. Um, it could lead to a stroke. It could lead to, you know, um, clotting in other ways and all those sorts of things. And, and the, the bigger thing that was an issue for me, or at least what they identified as an issue, is they couldn't tell where it was coming from. You know, mm -hmm. typically AFib is triggered by drug use or um, a, 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 like a mental health event. Like, mm -hmm. a, like a loss, you know, of a family member or, or getting fired or something tragic or even getting like surprised um, can cause a palpitation. But they, typically you don't stay in it for so long. So they pretty much boiled it down to the only thing that even made remote sense is either I OD'd on caffeine, which I hadn't had coffee in three days, or it was stress induced. But the kicker to all of that is the doctor and the cardiologist said, you know, I said, most of the time this happens when people are awake, like walking through, you know, sitting in an office, whatever. Every time I've had some kind of flare up, so to speak, it's been from a dead sleep. So like I've woken up in this rhythm, which is the dangerous part because they don't know if like I've been in it for five minutes or the entire evening and it's just finally waking me up. 
So that's where like the, the scarier part comes in. Um, so the talk kind of walks through what happened to me, the diagnosis, you know, what I found out. And then I kind of made a, a this is an acronym for atrial fibrillation is AFib, it's AFIB. Um, and not to give away all the, the secret treasures in my talk, but there's a, there's a process that I kind of associated with that acronym that I've used to kind of help me ground myself and, and, and change, I guess, my habits um, in a way that's more productive and, and just critically thinking about like what I'm doing, how I'm doing it and why. Um, and making a little more like pointed intentional choices to, to bettering my workflow, my surroundings, the people I'm with, et cetera, to kind of try to mitigate the amount of stress I expose myself to. So, yeah. Yeah. Saying no isn't a bad thing. No. To not opportunities. At all. <laughs> yeah. And it's hard. That's a hard thing to pass up because it's like, number one, there's like the feeling of like, I don't know if this will ever come again, right? The opportunity. Mm -hmm. And the other side is a lot of times it's like cool stuff you get offered to do. And it's like, well, I don't really want to pass this up because it sounds like fun, yeah. you know, no matter what I've got going on, you know, and that's, that's a hard thing to, to say no to it. And the funny part is most of the time, if you're like, Hey, how about in a month, you know, or two weeks from now, most of the time people are flexible, you know, not everyone's got hard deadlines. They just think they need a hard deadline. Mm -hmm. When you talk to them, it's like a whole different thing, but you know, and, and the, the, the most astounding thing from that entire conference was like, you know, I, I've given this talk before, you know, a few mm -hmm. times to like friends and family to, to practice. And then the first time I actually gave it was at a, a local conference called High Five. It's a very marketing centric conference um, that's, that's trying to incorporate more design into it. So they ask designers to participate and, and attend and whatever. But the um, I gave it there for like a crowd of like 40 and uh, it was a breakout session so people could choose, you know, one of you know, five or six sessions to, to attend. And, you know, it was, it was good. And people, you know, responded to it. They came up, you know, afterwards. They're like, you know, thank you. Like, it speaks to me, yada, yada, yada. But at Creative South, like, people were, like, DMing me on Instagram, like, throughout the talk, hmm. like, of, like, things that resonated with them, where they were taking pictures and, like, posting quotes and stuff. And then even after, like, I had a volunteer shift directly after my session. So, like, I went to the volunteer table, like, the merch hmm. table to, to do my shift. And like this lady came up to me and just like pulled the the collar of her shirt down and she had a heart rate monitor on. And she was like, she's like, you don't understand. Like, I didn't realize other people experienced this. And I was like, yeah, I was like, neither did I. Like, this is a first encounter for both of us, you know? And it was, it was just astounding. Like there was that. And like, I received like, I like DM'd a bunch of people on, on Instagram that like took really cool pictures and they like responded with like stories and how much they didn't realize what they were doing was like toxic and that I put it in a way that was just like digestible and actually actionable, which I, I you know, the, the whole guise of, of ever getting into this like speaking thing is like, I hate attending talks, sessions, workshops, whatever you want to call them, where you don't leave with something you can actually do. Right. And, and I understand, you know, like you want to show your portfolio, you want to tell a story. Cool. But when I come into a, a something that, that you say there's going to be like a subject matter that your, people are going to relate to and be able to, to do things based on, like I'm expecting some kind of like step-by-step -step process, like a takeaway, a quote, whatever, something I can digest and like do something with. So like when I sat down to like write this thing, I was like, I, like my number one goal is no matter how it comes together, like I have to give people something they can actually do that's not just a bunch of bullshit fluff. And, you know, it's a challenge because you, you can only distill so much. You can only get so specific up on a stage in front of people with a certain amount of time. Um, and it's it's a challenge. Like, I, And it took a lot of people helping me to get through that and a lot of, like, organizational. Like, I, I, I met with uh, Scotty Russell uh, twice to kind of help me guide the, the my flow because, like, I had all the pieces of the puzzle. I just didn't know how to arrange them. 
and he helped yeah. me kind of iron that out. Um, a handful of buddies came over three times to watch me do the the talk, and like a lot of the a lot of them didn't know anything about the story. Some of them did. Some of them weren't even designers, you know, whatever. And it was the feedback they gave was great. They're like, I don't know what you were talking about there, or you went too fast over this, like. And it was it was good stuff. Like they weren't like just be like, yeah, that was great, Taylor. Thanks. You know, it was very much like that was awful. This joke, nobody understood it. You know, whatever. And it allowed me to kind of hone it in so that it was relatable. And it was it was something that like I had to work on. You know, it wasn't a one and done. But the the beauty of it, I think, is that what made it easier is that there wasn't you know it wasn't bullshit. It actually happened. Like I didn't make something up and then be like, I'm going to talk about this. It was like, this is real. You know, this was something that like happened. I was actually in the hospital. Like I'm, I actually use that, that four step model thing. I mean, just in a, in a larger way, like it's not as easy as four steps. It's just, that's a nice way to, to frame it. Um, and it's things I actually try to practice. Like I, I, it's a whole practice as you preach idea. Like I just, I wanted to make sure that whatever I told people that I was comfortable telling them because I was also doing it. I was also experiencing, I was, you know, helping people run through it. And it wasn't just like, yeah, you could do it, kid. Like, do whatever you want. Quit your job. Be a freelancer. It's great. You know, like, I hate shit like that because it's not true. Right. It's just fluff. It's not realistic. I like yeah. how you – the AFib acronym, too, is so easy to remember with how your story ties together. And I still think of what it means. Yeah. yeah well, the fun <laughs> your action is, items, I still remember them. I made these little – and sorry for people who don't get to see this video, but um, – the first time I did it, I made these little cards that were the the key pieces of the, the process or whatever that I gave out at the end of the conference or the, the, the talk. And so people got like a tangible thing that recapped mm -hmm. the four steps. And, you know, had I known I was going to speak, I would have brought some, but you know, I had no idea. <laughs> so I've been like DMing people who like sent me messages, like asking for their address if they want one, you know, kind of thing, just so they can have that, that tangible deliverable. And I think it's just a fun thing to put up on your office desk. It's got curse words in it. It's got like a bunch of stuff that like, unless you know the the context doesn't make sense to you, which I think is a little bit fun. But, mm -hmm. you know, it's just, it's nice to have a reminder like that. I think, you know, especially the, the process is easy, but doing it's hard and having that reminder of like, well, here's what it looks like, I think is, is nice. I'm glad you're telling us a little bit about your process too, because that goes along with your story too. You didn't procrastinate until the very end. You put took your time. Well, you went through testing yeah. phases. Well, and that's, that's the funny <laughs> part. Like the so I've I've had this idea for a long time, right? But I, you know, the the hard part is like I wasn't in anything that happens with me. Period. Like if I don't have an event, a goal, a client, a mm -hmm. project, something like I just put it off. You know, so like when you know I, I was trying, I was like I, I told the 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 IGA board, I was like I want to do a talk. Like I, I just don't know what it's going to be or when or where. I, mean, I never scheduled anything, so I just was like, all right, cool, I'll do that at some point, you know? And then the high five opportunity came up, and they were like, and I, the, the conference was March 15th, I think, and I, like, submitted, you know, uh, February 1. And I was like, yeah, maybe, maybe we'll see. Like, I don't even have a talk written. I just have a rough outline of what I want to say, you know, and maybe they'll bite, maybe they won't. And then they were like, yeah, cool. Can you have the deck to this by the 8th? And I was like, uh, first of all, no. How about, like, the 14th, <laughs> like day yeah. before, I was like, trust me, I'll have it done. Like I, people will vouch for me that I'll get it finished, but you're not, I'm going to be like tweaking it till like the moment before. And then right then and there, I was like, all right, every like weekday, like that I had free after work, I was home and I was working on it. Like I was like, I can't leave this to the last moment because this mm -hmm. isn't something I'm just putting out like on medium.com that people can like absorb. Like this is something I'm going to be held accountable for in front of people. 
you know, and that to me held a little more weight. So I was like, I need to not do my normal process and like procrastinate to the last minute and bang it out. Like I need to be able to practice this. I need to make sure that I don't fuck up what I'm saying, this list of stuff, you know, or that yeah. I don't stare at the screen instead of talking to the audience, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever, and make sure my pacing's right and whatever. And that's, I was like, all right, well, I got to start like scheduling people to come over so that I actually have a deadline, right? Or I won't do it. So I just like, I was like, all right, you know, this date, this date, this date. I was like, can you guys go over there? Like, yeah. I was like, all right, cool. Now I have like a rough outline of when I need to have this done by, you know, otherwise I would have never done it. Yeah. It's good to have stuff like that to hold myself accountable to. Otherwise I'll just, <laughs> yeah. cause I'll, I'll keep looking at the same presentation say over and over and over again. If you don't call it done. <laughs> I was telling Beth this morning, we were talking about the ways that different people write papers hmm. for school. And I was always the guy that waited until the last second just to mm-hmm. run off of that rush of adrenaline. Yeah. Wait for my yep. fight or flight to kick in. Exactly. Bang out a twelve page paper. And the the shitty part about that is like this is like the whole basis of my my presentation is like that's mm-hmm. the hard part about that is the output is creativity or productivity, right? You got it done. Right. So it's hard to swallow the fact that like that's a very terrible way to go about life. Because <laughs> it's just it's an addiction to something else. Yeah, it's that it's that need for that adrenaline. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And you may be doing out. great. Yeah, and you may be doing great work. It's totally possible, but it's just the the amount of stress and anxiety that you don't even realize you're throwing at your at your brain. You're not giving it the chance to process that adrenaline. You're just running it into something else, mm-hmm. which is very dangerous. And I don't. Think and then what you, opportunities? Are you missing then? Because now you've got oh, sure. two days to get this thing done. What if something cool pops up in those two days? Yeah. You can't take, you can't, oh, now Disney comes and knocks at your door and they need something done in a week. Or how about, how about worse it. than that? How about like that was the night your friends were all going to go out to dinner because someone was leaving town and now you have yeah. to stay home and get the thing done. Like you're missing out on important things because you decided to wait. You know, and that's yeah. what it was more for me. Like I, I would push and push and push and, you know, I was so focused on getting these cool projects out the door, right? And I think the the challenge and the issue I have with people promoting that whole, like, quit your job, freelancing is fun thing is, like, it's lonely as fuck. Like, at least with an office, like, you're in there with people. Whether you hate them or hate your job or not, like, you can, like, misery loves company, right? You're there and you're like, we all all hate this. This is awful. But when it's you and, like, you know, a a bottle of alcohol and your dog, like, that's not good. (laughs) No. No, it's like, this is awful. And you have a Wait, terrible a sleep schedule. Bottle of alcohol, dog, and a cat. You forgot oh, the cat. Even worse. Even yeah. worse. <laughs> you know, but I think the, the – by the way, cats are, are spawns of Satan, so you can go on a whole tangent on that. But they are directly oh. from Lucifer himself. Um, I don't disagree with you, but I still but have one. That's Thank fine. You. you. You yeah. suffer. That, that, <laughs> I got anything two. Anything that happens, you deserve it. <laughs> but it's just – it's toxic. And I, and I don't think the, the encouragement of like – Everyone do it on your own is not, it's not a safe, it's not a safe thing. It's not a safe thing. I think it breeds um, a weird amount of, 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 of negativity that you don't realize you have to absorb when you're on your own. So Sure. I wonder where that attitude comes from in the first place. Like the hustle attitude, I don't agree with, you know, the cram as much work as you can in a day, you know. A lot of people joke, you know, go make the bread, you know, that kind of thing. And it's important to get work done and get your name out there. And if that's what you want to do, I also know plenty of people who are happy working on in-house teams 
and that's as far as they're going to go, and that's just what they're happy doing, and that's totally cool for them too. But I wonder yeah, how much of it comes from like the economy we grew up in. And again, as an older millennial, I, I said that in another podcast, you know, like we went through 2008. We yeah. went through the, you know, there are no jobs. There's no, I, I'll never own a house. That's just the end of it. I don't think I'll, you know, I'll never get to the point where that happens, but just, I, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> no, no, I think you're on the, you're on the, I think the, the, the thing here is I, I can agree that the economy was a factor in the whole like hustle mentality, but I think a lot of it is this, you know, the, there was a long time where the people that were creating the self-help books, the articles, the speaking content were only people that were working for themselves. And my hunch is that's because they were the ones who had the time to focus on those things, right? Because they're not at a day job where they have expectations of like this to-do list because you are the manager of your own schedule if you work for yourself or you freelance. You can choose to not do work or work later or whatever or work on off hours to be able to get that stuff done. And then I think what that bred was those people were then the ones with the content when people came looking for speakers or for, for people to write stuff or whatever. And so whether they had good things to say or not, they were the ones who got the spotlight. And then it was like, everyone thought, maybe that's the path. Like, that's the dream. I want to do work. I'm going to get up on the stage or, or, you know, get in an article and show it off, you know, whether it's one project or it's a hundred, you know, and then us, the consumers of that content see that and we're like, Oh shit, that's so cool. They got to work with, you know, uh, Disney or Jack Daniels on that one project. How fucking cool is it? They must have a hundred <laughs> projects like that. When in reality, that was probably the, in some cases the only one they got. And they probably yeah. didn't even get paid well for it. But it's cool looking. And that's the one they're showing in front of people. And they got a bajillion likes on social media and was all over Behance's featured page and was on Dribble and whatever. But it's one project in the grand scheme of all the things that they're going on. And then they have to support that content over and over and over to get attention so they can get more work. So it's just this vicious circle of like awfulness. And I don't think that's like a, an everyone situation, right? But I think the, the challenge is that's, I think that's what bred this idea of like, oh, maybe if I just work nights and weekends too, I can land a project like that. And that's probably true. But there's also the reality of like, you don't have to land a project to be happy. You know, I mean, if, right. if money is your goal, then that's a whole different thing. Like, I, there is a million ways to make money. You just have to be do, okay with doing a lot of things you don't want to do. You know, that's just the reality of it. I mean, if you want to make money, like, you can go scrub toilets. There's people that will pay a lot of money for you to clean their house. You just don't want to do it. And that's totally cool. But, you know, on the flip side of that, you know, you, you shouldn't be burning your candle at both ends doing something that's literally wearing you out only for a dollar, you know, if. You really, you know, if this is just play money or this is like stuff that doesn't help you get to where you want to go, you know, or it's, it's at the sacrifice of other people or your health or your mental state. And I think it's the hardest thing to realize that, you know, number one, your actions are deteriorating yourself and or they're hurting the people around you because oftentimes you're so distracted by the project at hand, you don't realize the damage it's doing. Yeah, what you're missing out on. I mean, there's. It's almost cliche at this point, but you know, the, um, the idea nobody on their deathbed wishes they worked more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that one of the biggest, like unsolicited byproducts of that is like, there, there comes a, a threshold point of like, you know, when you're taking work instead of, or, or working extra instead of 
socializing, hanging out with family and friends, whatever. There's a trade-off you're accepting there. Like the more times you say no to being out with people or going to do some social or whatever, the less times you can be mad when you don't get invited the next time. Right. Yeah. You know, and I don't think and it, that was a very hard lesson to learn. You know, when I, you know, when I look back on like before the whole AFib thing, like I was working every night after work and I like didn't go to like trivia nights with friends because I was like, I want to do this cool project instead. You know, and yeah, arguably could I have found designer friends that would like love to sit around and, you know, do this stuff? Sure. But I mean, the core of my friend group wasn't creatives for a long time. That's not, it was, you know, people I went to high school with, college with, whatever that were in my, in my field. And a lot of that was just by nature who I met. But, you know, over time, they, they would stop calling. And I got upset. You know, I was like, fuck these guys. Like, they're not even, like, bothering to reach out, whatever. Like, this is awful. And then, you know, I, I, I like, regrouped. And I was like, maybe that was me. Like, I told them not to call. Because, like, every time they reached out, I was like, no, I'm busy tonight. Or I got a client call or whatever. Like, how many times did they have to hear no before they were like, well, then why do we even bother calling him? If he's just going to tell us right. no every time. You know, and then that's on me. You know, I think that's that's an, an unintended byproduct. I think that people don't they forget. I think that's what leads to some like a, even more romantic relationship sad issues. It's like, yeah, look, you're on your computer all the time. Like, pay attention yeah. to the other person. You know, and it's hard. It's hard. You got to be really regimented on what you do and when, and that's a very difficult lesson to learn. But. I was trying to remember the first time my kids were on their computers on their i. That's what they call their iPads. And they told me to hold on a second so they could finish something they were working on because that's what they'd seen me be doing. Mm-hmm. Like, hold on, I need to finish this animation and then I'll come out there. And now they're doing that. It's it's a whole cat in the cradle, <laughs> sad, yeah, sad song situation. But it happens a lot quicker than you think it does. Yeah, I imagine. And it's um, hard because like you don't want to stop them from exploring either. Like that's the catch twenty two. It's like if they're enjoying what they're doing, do you really want to take it away? You know. So when did you become this loud and opinionated? <laughs> I was born from the womb screaming my opinion. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think to say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think once I realized that, that you know, I, for whatever reason, and I think that I've never felt the, the need to like bullshit people. And I think for a while I took that for granted. Um, you know, I, I don't like the what you see is what you get. Like, I'm just an asshole, like, purview. But, I mean, there's a little bit of truth to that. Like, you know, there's not a two-faced portion of who I am. Like, what you what you see in here is, like, who I am. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you something's funky. I'll tell you something's great. Like, I'm, I'm cognizant and empathetic about situations. But, like... If someone's doing something I don't agree with that's, like, hurting other people, like, I'm not going to sit on the sideline. Like, and the same thing goes for, like, if I see a behavior that's, like, you know, like, ex-friend is drinking too much. Like, I'll be like, dude, like, this is not okay. Like, this, there's clearly something going on whether you want to address it or not. Like, there's something up. Like, I'm, I'm not someone that will let bullshit slip by. And but I think, you also wouldn't do that in front of all their other friends. No, exactly. No, you are capable of empathy. That's what I'm saying. There's an, empath- yeah. there's an empathetic portion to that. It's not like uh, it's not a uh, a call out to make fun of someone. It's just that the, there's a you know, like I'm not going to do that in, at a bar. You know, it's a conversation that's had afterwards. But I'm just I'm not afraid to go up to people and be like, hey, like we need to talk about this. Like there's something going on here that either you're not addressing or that I'm completely making up and I'm and I'm not you know I just need to know if this is true. 
And I think part of that is is my incessant need to answer questions that I have, <laughs> right? Which is for better or for worse. But you know, I think that the whole point of that is I think people have grown used to the uh, acceptable asshole nature that's around that, right? I mean, the, there's a there's a bit of sour truth, I guess, that it comes to like being my friend. <laughs> that also comes with the the understanding, I guess, that like like I I mean well. And sometimes mm-hmm. I don't deliver the same way, but I think that it builds a little bit of rapport. Like I think I don't think people ever have to question where I stand with them, which I think there's some there's some niceness in that. Um, it's refreshing. Yeah, and, and I think what's 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 interesting though is like that's what's bled into all this other stuff. You know, like if I have an opinion about something, someone's asking me a question, like I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Like if someone's like, "Hey, I'm, I need help with this," I'm like, "Well, you came to me last week and asked me the same question. I told you not to do that one thing that you're doing, and then you're wondering why it's not working. Like, let's now lay this out and explain why, where the issue was, and see if we can fix it, you know, or whatever. Or like, the, I think it's most interesting when when people go to like, um, like Q and A panel type things. Like I've been asked to be on a few of those, like with students, and they're always like, you know, do I need a degree, or do, you know, what what should I expect as a salary? Like, should I do free work and like, I'll answer those questions honestly, man. Like, if you want to know how much I make, like, ask me. Like, I'm not going to tell you no and, like, hide stuff. If you want to, like, know what, like, my project life's like, how I build clients. If you want to know what I do on the weekends, like, what I'm watching on Netflix, like, I don't care. Like, I'll, I'm transparent in, in a way that's, like, that's, that's relatable, I think. And I, you know, there's not, I'm not a dick. Like, I'm not going to be like, yeah, no, fuck you. Like, I, I make more than you, and that's why this is cool. You know, or I'm up here for a reason. You know, it's nothing like that. It's, it's, it's just a weird, I think, genuineness that people have apparently told me that I have, that I, I didn't yeah. know any different. You know, I, I don't know what it's like to be a bullshitter, I think. So I don't I don't know. Like, I don't notice it is kind of the point I make. Like, I think people have told me, and that's where these, like, descriptors have come from. But, I, like, I, I just don't know any different. And I, I think mean, it led into getting me places. There's TED Talks and Netflix specials and gajillion books just trying to teach people how to get to that point. Mm. So... It's not necessarily a bad thing either. No. I have a poster in my office that just says, do no harm, but take no shit. Yep. It's basically it. Yep. It, I, I mean, how many times can you give advice to somebody and they just don't take it? Mm-hmm. It, it's not worth yep. it. It's a waste of your time and their time. No, you're totally the, right. I think that's, that's a hard thing to do too. I mean, when you've grown up with people, you know, that are clearly just in, either in a bad spot or doing more things that are not in their favor, um, you know, and, and you, you genuinely want to help them because you can see the pattern they're creating and whether they can see it or not. I think that's a very difficult position to be in. And I don't mean that from like a, you should control them perspective, but just like a, you can see where the path is going, whether they can see it or not. And it's very difficult to sit down and have that difficult conversation with someone like, Hey, like, don't think this is critical, but like your behavior needs to change because xyz right and this is where it's going and i hope i'm wrong you know that's that's the kicker to it it's like i'm not saying this because i think i'm better than you and right it's because i've either seen this happen before or like you're concerning me (laughs) are you are you've learned from it i mean yes the baseline is you can't teach somebody something that you haven't learned right either directly or through a close relationship at Mm -hmm. least when we're talking about this stuff we're talking about not like how to make a square and illustrator but how to not get screwed over by a by a client or how to not have a heart attack. Yeah. Those are you know, those are things that Or the harder ones like how to how to clean up your friend group. 
you know, that's a very difficult thing to do. And I mean, just back to my kids, like what's a more effective me teaching them to not burn their hands or letting them burn them once. Right. I'm not going to let my kids burn their hands on the stove, by the way, but it's sometimes (laughs) the second one is a more effective, if they do it by accident or something, they're going to know to not do it again. No, but there's also, you can show them the heat. You know, there's like a middle ground to that. And it's like addressing the situation uh, as it, you know, as it comes up. Like it doesn't have to go to the extreme, but it also doesn't have to be that helicopter. Like you don't even go near the oven. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Don't go in the kitchen. You stay out here. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's a, it's a fine and weird balance in between all of those things for sure. So what were you doing with the client stuff? If you weren't, you're not, you're not pounding pavement. You're not burning both ends of the night what were you how did you make it work avoiding those two things uh so i found out very quickly that in order to do effective work in a timeline that didn't end me up back in the hospital was i didn't take on more than two clients per month and i always tried to make my project duration one month and the reason for that is i I was I started to be just literally blunt with every client, you know, that was even before I had the AFib thing. Like once I started like changing jobs and getting more serious with like, you know, career or whatever, or realizing that I was getting more responsibility at work and I needed to pay more attention. Um, you know, it, it started to, I started to realize I was, I was either not giving a hundred percent at the office or I was not giving a hundred percent to the project that took on. And either way, it's not fair to whomever I was serving or whoever was paying me. So, it came to a point where I was like, all right, well, I need to figure out what's most efficient for me, what works for me, and then how I can pitch that to clients so that they understand from the get-go what they're getting themselves into. You know, and that was very simple for me. It was, look, I will only respond to emails and phone calls after 5 p.m., you know, when I'm out of the office, out of respect for the job. Uh, you know, on an occasion, if I need to, I can take, like, a lunch call, you know, or whatever, or meet you for lunch to, to discuss stuff. But we have to plan it well ahead so I can give everyone fair notice. And on the flip side, like, I was very upfront with all of my employers. Like, I maintain a freelance roster of XYZ clients, you know, or people. I, mean, I don't like saying clients. It makes them sound like fancy. This is, like, small businesses. Like, this is, it's, yeah. you know. But, the, you know, I've never had a big client. I, I don't want to have a big client. But the the point of that is like, I was very transparent. Like I let them know the, the employer, like I'm doing this, you know, it, it will not distract me from the stuff you're giving me to do. Just know that it's happening. Um, and then on the flip side, I told the same thing to the, to the client so that I, when I had to turn a project down or say, Hey, I'm booked through X date. Can we do this project later? And that was a hard lesson to learn. Like I would just take things on and be like, Oh, well that project's going to wrap up in a week. I can do three at once for like a week. And then that never worked out. It always ended up being three of, you know, for the whole month, which was stupid, but you know, it, 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 it's a push and a pull. Um, and once I realized I was doing not as good work when I had more on my plate, um, I needed to, to pull back. And this is all under the guise of, like, I had the privilege. And I, I worked for this privilege. It wasn't, like, something that was handed to me. But, like, I, every freelance client I had, number one, was something I picked that I wanted to do. Not, like, picked it out of the, the world. But when it came to me, I chose that I wanted to do it. As opposed to like having to take it to pay my bills. Like that's a very different dynamic than I think some people have. And I'm lucky to have that, you know, as a, as an option. But like I said, I've I've kind of worked to be able to get that. Like I've always taken, I've had a full-time job for as long as I could possibly have one, you know, with the exception of my short-term layoff. But like, I, and that allows me to pick the projects I work on and do the ones that I want to participate in. Um, But with that, like I've also had employers that have been, 
kind of open to the idea of me moonlighting. And to be honest, if you have an employer that isn't okay with that, you need a new, new employer. Like that's, they don't get to dictate what you do outside of the office unless you're stealing clients from them. Like I would never work for a bank, you know, that that's competing with Fidelity. That's just fucked up. Like they're the ones paying my mortgage. <laughs> right. No, <laughs> for know? sure. But, so it's finding no, that I, balance, you know, and that's, and it's a hard thing to do, but it's, and it's trial and error. I want to make that just in case anybody had any doubts. You said it a couple of times in there. It's, it's never anything you're talking about, like the not hustling, the being more intentional. It's you're always giving a hundred percent, but like whatever you're working on at that time gets a hundred percent of your energy and your creativity, but you've worked hard to set up boundaries and limits and clear expectations. So you can give a hundred percent to this, but then also give a hundred percent to the, to your life also. Yeah, I think the hustle thing is misunderstood more than it's bad advice. I think, I think the intent of these people who purport this kind of hustle hard, stay humble. The funny part about it, I made a sticker that said hustle hard, stay humble, and I sold it for a long time. And then when I started like realizing that it was kind of bullshit, I pulled it off the shelf. You know, I was like, this is dumb. Like I'm putting out a message I don't believe in anymore, and that's not right because you know, stand by your own shit. So I sold off whatever was left because I'm not an idiot. And, you know, once I finished the batch, uh, I just didn't reprint them. And people have asked for it, and the answer has been no. And the reason is I just I don't have faith in that statement anymore. And I think mm-hmm. it's because when I, you know, made the thing, I didn't anticipate for this whole hustle culture to mean work until you can't work anymore. Like, it used to be like, work hard, and then, you know, be proud of it. Like, that's what hustle hard and stay humble meant. And I think it was either misinterpreted or purported incorrectly from like some of these like, you know, uh, motivation types to be if you're not working nights and weekends and every day and every moment in between and, and not breathing, then you're, you're not doing it right or you're never going to achieve anything or you'll never be a millionaire. What the fuck do you need to be a millionaire for? <laughs> like, yeah, most people can live super comfortably and do everything they want on $3,000 a month. So if I join your community and I do this step, this step, this step, I too can have a sports car. Is that right. what you're trying to say? Okay, <laughs> that, that's the bullshit that comes out of that, right? Yeah. And like, and, and I'm not and, talking about anybody know. specific or anything. Don, <laughs> <laughs> nah, you're, you're right. You're right. I think that's that's the shitty nature. Is I think I think originally there was no ill intent by the statement. I mean, not for me obviously, but I think from other people. As well, and I think the challenge there is, as people do, they interpreted it as they would, and then recreated it, and it became this this terrible culture. And that's just that's just what it is. And there'll be a new ner- a new term, you know, in six months, <laughs> a year that that means the same thing that people are all backing behind, and it'll come and go as most things do. But I think the the challenge is just you have to be critical, right? I mean, uh, you can distill a message, like you can hear some fancy person on stage say. You know, hard work is the way you get to where you want to be. And that's like, that's a true statement, but it's also extremely vague. You know, what does that mean to you? And what is hard work? You know, does hard work mean working nights a week? And does hard work meaning just being present of the stuff you're doing so you're really giving it all your attention? Because to me, right. it's the latter. You know, and but it was the former for a long time because I didn't understand the difference. I thought it was, I didn't realize there was another option. Mm-hmm. And I think that comes with, I was I mean, naive. I was young. You know, I'm not 
old now, but like uh, I was young, I was dumb. I was just taking, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I was taking whatever work I could because I thought it would never come if I didn't. I mean, you're at the point in your life where you leave your glasses laying around places. Yeah, (laughs) where did I leave them? (laughs) I'm secretly 84. I'm just really, really good at like buying aging cream. (laughs) And I think I hear a lot of complaints. Not a lot of complaints. Like in places at Creative Market and stuff where like everybody will say the front page. Everything looks the same. Everybody's making the same fonts. They're making the same textures, the same brushes. I wonder how much of that comes from that hustle, the work day and night. And so you've actually limited yourself with how your brain can function properly. And yeah. that's why everything is coming out looking the same. Like we've yeah. broken ourselves. I agree 100% with that, but I also think, like, so what? Right. Right? I, I'm, I'm, if you want to emulate my style, I don't have a style, but if I have a style and you want to emulate <laughs> it, like, so what? That's the biggest honor. But as long as you're not literally stealing my shit, tracing over my work and selling it, like, I don't care. Like, you, and nobody should care. Like, if, if your work has inspired someone to make something similar, you know, that's not a literal one-to-one copy and try to try to make, you know, uh, a thing for themselves. Like, so what? So we do something else. You, you can't be a one-trick pony. Neither can they. You know, like I, I have a big problem with this whole, like, <clears throat> you're ripping off my style, you know, thing. It's like, okay, hang on. First of all, you got that style from somewhere, right? So you're ripping off whoever you stole it from in the first place. So let's be honest, right? Originality right. is not a thing, like flat out especially in this digital world. Like, you can emulate anything. I mean, that's just a fact. Like, it may be harder to do than other things and some easier and whatever, but, like, there's nothing that's 100% original anymore, and that's just, that's okay. Like, there's nothing wrong with that because everything's derivative. There's going to be some slight change that you add to it that'll be yours. You know, whether you realize mm-hmm. it or not, it may be a mistake, but it's still something that you did to it that doesn't make it the same. And as someone who may have been copied, like, you should just be like, yeah, it's cool. Like, they're not really stealing food out of my mouth, so I'm going to keep my clients. They're going to keep theirs or, or whatever it is. And it, it is what it is. Like, there's enough food on the table for everybody to eat. Like, uh, we had John Contino on this show uh, a while back, and um, I think it was the second second or third episode. And he's like, one of the problems with design right now is everybody has a voice, and then maybe there's too many voices. <laughs> everybody doesn't need to necessarily have their own voice. Yeah. I think that's true. But I think also, I mean, it's interesting to to say that, I mean, I, it depends on how you frame that, right? I, I think there's a lot of people who, like, I, I am by no means an expert on stress or on management of time or anything like that. I just have a story that resonates with people. Mm-hmm. I think my issue is people who purport themselves as experts and haven't done the work to get there yet. And I'm not, like, a ruler on that. Like, I don't know what enough work is. But you can tell if, like, like someone who's presenting or someone who gets up on stage is like, this is my first brand project, and it went great, so I am now the authority on brand. It's like, no, nah, dude, you just had a successful project. Like, high five. You did great. But you're not, like, you know, you can show people how to do stuff. Like, that's awesome. But don't walk around like you're king of the fucking castle. And I think a lot of people do that, and that's what pisses me off. And I think that's kind of what John is talking about. It's, it's the, Having voices is not bad. Having voices that feel like they need to overspeak over other other people is bad. Yeah, right? and you just can have two hundred speakers and two hundred podcasts, but you know, shitting on each other is the bad part. Yep, um, that same. I think it was the same year that um, 
he came to Creative South. We were, I guess it was last year, we were doing the, I was running around recording people, mm-hmm. just talking. And at one point I was standing on the bridge with John and um, I would have, like there was a bunch of students and I would go up to the students and I'd be like, hey, do you know who this guy is? And a lot of them said no. And then I would ask them to critique his work, which I had <laughs> pulled up on my phone. And usually people were like, oh, that's cool. Or they would recognize him because of his work. But this one kid <laughs> was like, oh, I've seen this before. It's like, he's like, oh, this sucks. This sucks. This sucks. This could be better. This sucks. I don't even know why he put this on his website. And he was like a kid in like a branding class. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I did one for like my cousin's friend or something. And it's on here. Check it out on Instagram. And it was, <laughs> he he had done one or two logos for someone in his family and thought that he had this really strong, honest feedback for John yeah. Cantino standing right here. <laughs> Well, and the funny part about that is I think, I think the unique part about Creative South is that as a design community and as a conference community, Creative South excluded, puts people on pedestals, right? I think John Cantina is a fantastic designer. I think he's got a very niche style that's like super weird and perfect for whatever he's doing. Can you also argue that like some of his sketch work looks like rudimentary? Yes, but that's part of his style, right? So someone without knowing who he is and what he's doing in the context of the project, maybe like, that looks like an unfinished drawing. Like, what is it? Yeah, right? every time somebody said that, it was one of his unfinished drawings. <laughs> yeah, but that's, and there it is. And even some of the final stuff yeah. is very rough, it's very edgy. And that's, right. But that's him, that's the whole point, that's his whole mantra, right? Yeah. But like a cor- someone who's looking at, at logos, at like just those corporate clean cuts sans serifs, and sees John's work and they're like, this is clearly just unfinished garbage. It's like, no, it's just in two different worlds, and that's totally fine. Yeah, and I think that's, that's, the, that's the kicker to design, you know, capital D design. It's like, it's so unearthly subjective. Oh, like, and so much of it, we're looking at it on the, uh, we have this macro view of it. It seems so big to us, but like, uh-huh. if I asked my grandma who John was, she would have no idea. She would never know the name. I'm like, yeah. have you ever heard of Aaron Draplin? Uh, no. Mm-mm. Yeah. Well, I think that's she the might surprise part. me. Yeah, I think that's maybe the she's a big Marin fan. <laughs> you never know. She's got like books on books. Yeah, but I think the the fun part about that is though, it's like when people are like, you know, I, I, this is my issue with design students, right? So I didn't go to design school. I was an education major. I changed majors at NC State eight times before graduating. I always knew I wanted to make stuff. I just didn't know that graphic design was where I would end up. Um, but the the mentality that's purported by some design students because of the education they get is that they have to look at everything from this like high level, ominous, I'm better than you perspective and critique everything, right? Because that's what they're kind of trained to do. And that's not everybody, but there's a good portion of folks that are. And I think those people who who were not exposed to that kind of environment, I would argue took a bit of a more business approach. And what I mean by that is like, there are some logos that I would never submit to a competition that I've done, right? If you want to call that like the factor of, of good, right? But it worked well for the business I made it for and the fucking business loved it and I got paid and it worked well for them. So in my opinion, that's a successful logo. It may not fit the parameters of like Instagram and all the new stuff and, mm-hmm. and like the true style of whatever I was going for, but the business loved it. So who gives a shit? 
right? It worked for them. The file worked for them. It, it suited their needs. It fit with the, the aesthetic they wanted. That's a win. And I think that goes for everybody's stuff. Like, I don't think there's a, a right and a wrong way to do most things in design. When we're talking about things with a little more ramification, like some advertising or like, uh, I would say even like the work of Fidelity, right? We're, we're creating forms where people are changing money, like making financial decisions. We can seriously fuck up someone's life, right, if we do something wrong. So there's, there's a right and a wrong there. But the choice, and I, you can argue that's all the way down to even like color, right? If you choose yellow for a, a warning box instead of red, they may not notice that like they're about to delete their account, you know? But if you put sure. red in a logo versus magenta, the client like magenta, like, so what? Pick a color palette that matches with what they're asking for. Like, ultimately, they're the one paying the bill. And you can, like, purport as much design knowledge as you have or, or you want. It's your job to steer them in the right direction. But at the end of the day, if they like it and they're happy with it, cool. Like, that's what's more important to me. And I think that's why I've always liked the, the small business market because they're very much, like, they, they don't know anything and they know they don't know anything. And they're hoping that you help them learn something, right? <laughs> And I think that's yeah. the fun part of, like, the education side of it is, like, I will help you understand how to use the things I'm going to make for you. And you, whether you know it or not, are going to be part of the creation process where you probably expected to just hand off this idea to me and me to make something. And I don't work like that. You know, whereas when you work for larger companies, a lot of times there's a lot of uh, pre-baked stuff you have to kind of work around, whether it's briefs or an existing brand or, or art directors that have a vision that you now have to execute on, like, there's a lot of guardrails that you have to fit between. And where I think the small business market is a fucking wild west. Like, do whatever you want. You know, you want to make a purple zebra, like, do it. You know, <laughs> that'll never work for Nike, you know, but that'll work for, you know, Joe's uh, supermarket. You know, if they like zebras, whatever, make it work. I don't know. Amen. <laughs> Steps off soapbox. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> You did it, and you didn't yeah. have any palpitations the entire time we were talking. I know. It's so good. It's so Yay. good. Yay. It's so good. <laughs> well, Taylor, thanks for hanging out with us. Absolutely. This was a blast. Um, is there anything you're working on you do want to share with people, unlike the points from your talk? Uh, sure. So I'm I'm working on a font, my first font, which is kind Ooh. of fun. And that's it's going to be a while until it's done, and that's intentional. But yeah. the uh, So what I'm, what I'm trying to do is uh, I'm, I'm – I'm able to travel a little more than I've ever been able to. And I don't mean like abroad, but like to different states. Like, so mm -hmm. there's office, Fidelity has offices in different states and we're doing some on-site training, things like that. And like going to Georgia for Creative South and, and just like visiting South Carolina because it's close. I'm in, you know, North Carolina to be able to, to go and see these places. So what I'm doing is I'm making, I'm trying to make little kind of graphics or images uh, to, to house the photos of those, of okay. that trip. Um, so basically a cover page that'll have photos behind it. And what I'm doing is I'm, and there's some stuff on my Instagram that, that you'll see that, like, I got one from, from Durham for when the Thrive Conference was. I got one from Georgia, Cincinnati, just the, the recent little travels I've done. Um, cool. And I'm using the states, uh, like GA, right, to, to build out these two letters to be the background of whatever graphic I make on top. And what I started to realize is a lot of those forms were similar, right? So when I made a C, I could rotate it and make an A. Or that C helped me make the G, whatever. So as I was building up these letters for the places I've visited, I, I was like, I'm going to continue to do that for every place I go, you know, just because it's cool. And I want to, like, document more of what I'm doing because I have a bad habit of, like, forgetting the things I've done over the past year. 
So having some photos to go back on is cool. And then being able to scroll through and find the locations, I'll know like, oh, that was a trip. I can go look at that. But I realized that like I can build a typeface based on it. So I'm, I'm keeping the letter forms kind of separately. So I can yeah. build out this font, uh, hopefully, and uh, maybe put it up on like a, a retro supply website. Please, that'd be dope. You know, uh, <laughs> just to, to, to share it with people because I think it'll be fun of a little side project. So that's what I'm working nice. on now. Yeah. That's awesome. I'll put the links in the show notes. Um, where can people find you online if you want them to? Sure. So my portfolio is uh, taylorcashdan.com. It's T-A-Y-L-O-R-C-A-S-H-D-A-N.com. And I'm at Taylor Cashdan on all the social medias. So, <laughs> you know, Instagram. I don't use Twitter much because I think it's a shithole. Um, You're I'm not on, wrong. <laughs> on Facebook, dribble because I feel like I have to be. Uh, but I use Instagram a lot more because I think it's fun. Um, and I write on medium too. So cool. Yeah. Awesome, man. Oh yeah. Thanks. Good articles. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. (laughs) No, great articles. Brag on them some more, please. Yeah. You should read it all. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. A lot of fun. I like writing. We'll keep it up, man. And yeah, thanks for hanging out and uh, giving some time today. And, uh, yeah, we'll definitely talk again soon. Cool. Sounds good. If anyone's interested in actually hearing the talk, uh, send it to your local AIGA chapter and have them bring me out or tag your conference that you want to want me to go at get to get me on their radar. It'll be fun. Awesome. But anyway. Well, thanks, Taylor. Yeah. Have thanks a good one. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, you too. Bye. Bye. That was our conversation with Taylor. Yay! Yeah! <laughs> I always hate recording these parts because I don't know what to say. Me neither. But it's always a pleasure to chat with Taylor. It's a good conversation. Right. And it was a pleasure to share an hour with all of you guys who I'm waving at who can't see me but listen to the podcast today. Thank you for sticking around and enjoying our show. I hope. If you didn't enjoy it, let us know, but never mind. Don't tell us. Let me know if you liked it. Leave a five-star review on iTunes and on Spotify and write us an email or talk into the mirror. I'll hear you if you do that. Light some candles, turn the lights off, and just talk to yourself in the mirror, and we'll hear you somehow. Say Zach three times. (laughs) Just don't do it at 8 o'clock. I'm probably putting my kids in bed. But after that, I'll show up. Yeah. You have business hours. Uh, Yeah. Only, (laughs) I will only commune with you (laughs) in the sacred circle through your mirror from the hours of 1 a.m. to 4 a.m. Please wear clothes. (laughs) The rest (laughs) of the time, you know, I got to set up healthy boundaries. That's what that is. Yeah. So, um, our theme song is... Everything Went Quiet and I Was Eight Again by Catbeats. You can find their music on catbeats.life, and you should because it'll make you happy and your day better. Um, follow Creatoring on Instagram, at Creatoring. And uh, thanks again for listening. This has been Creatoring, and I love you. Thanks, guys. <laughs> I'm not Bye. on. Bye. <laughs> I'm not on I love you terms yet. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I've, I've known them longer than you have. I know. <laughs> Gotta get to know you. We, we like you a lot, everybody. We'll see you later. What you got there? Shake weight. <laughs> <laughs>